What's up? My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, I miss you guys. It's hard doing all this life online. We probably zoom in our life away, but we're going to make it, y'all. We're going to make it. Um, man, I, I'm looking forward to getting into the word with you this morning. Let me pray. God, thank you for who you are and what you do. God, with the Holy Spirit, meet us in the midst of technology. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so in relationships, and I'm sure for most of us this is true, there's that beginning phase where you want to make sure you show the good parts of you. You make sure your clothes are ironed. You make sure your hair is brushed. You make sure you got on the smell good. Um, in every, in most relationships, that is how we begin. We want to hide our flaws. We want to make sure we, 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 we give the person the best parts of us. But then you get into the point of a relationship where you want the person to know all of you. And so you got to be vulnerable and you got to take off the hoodie. You got to take off the smell good and kind of just be yourself. I remember when I was dating my wife. I gave her the good vibes. I was like, shorty, light skin, what up? You know, it's me. It's me. Uh, I was doing all the, the good stuff. I put the best foot forward. I put my best face on. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I got to this point in our relationship where I realized if we're going to be together, yo, she got to know all of me. She has to know the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad. And when I decided to actually tell her that, she grabbed me by my face and she said, she looked at me and she said, we're going to do life together. And I remember being met with so much compassion. I remember seeing her in her eyes, the compassion in her eyes. And it wasn't just that she was uh, uh, compassionate. She was also action oriented. Uh, she, she looked like she was going to do something about it that she meant. She was going to walk alongside of me in the midst of my flaws. And if you're anything like me, you want that too. You want someone to step into your life, to step into your pain, to step into your flaws and your struggles and all your frustrations, all your bumps and your bruises. You want someone to step in and be compassionate. You want someone to be there and give you and meet you with a level of compassion. And look, if I was to be honest, there are times in my life when I was being vulnerable, I let my hair hang down, I'm kind of just being myself, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I wasn't met with compassion. <laughs> I was met with harsh critique and criticism. And it hurt, y'all. It hurt, honestly. It was, it affected me in, in probably more ways than I can think. But if I were to be honest, it kind of made my heart a little bit hard at times. And man, that's not how I want to be. So let me get my professor, my English professor on. I want to define the term compassion for us. See, what I understand about the English language is the English language gives us all these other words to try to describe one word. <laughs> uh, they're called synonyms. That's why I was talking about getting my English professor on. But when I look up the synonyms for compassion, there's words like benevolence, sympathy, tenderness, 
charity. Soft-heartedness, tender-heartedness. Now, all of these synonyms are good, but they fall short in defining what compassion really is. See, a good way to talk about compassion is to talk about what it's not. And we do that a lot here at Renaissance. I wanna, I wanna talk about what compassion isn't. See, compassion isn't just being nice. See, I know you and I, we know a lot of nice people, but nice isn't compassion. If you see someone that's hungry and they ask you for a bagel or they ask you for some food and you smile at them, you put your hand on, your, on their shoulder and you look at them and you say, no. I mean, you were being nice, but there's no way you were being compassionate. You can say no as nicely as you want, and, but that would never, ever equal compassion. See, compassion also is not just being generous. See, you can do the right things for the wrong reasons. There are a lot of people who give money to causes. They give money to organizations, not because they truly feel for the people that, that these organizations service, not because um, um, they, they have this compassionate heart for these organizations, but just because it's the right thing to do. They might feel guilty if they don't donate. They're not really donating out of a compassionate heart. See, it's a good thing to do, but you can do the right things with the wrong motives. But now, check it. <laughs> If you're giving the renaissance, you're doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? So keep doing that. We'll work out all this other stuff later. But in all seriousness, there's a compassion also is not weakness. See, it takes strength to be compassionate. There's something inside of us that knows compassion takes strength. It's not weakness. Um, it takes strength to stand in the face of an opportunity to have these feelings and still be compassionate. See, compassion is not weakness. Compassion is not being generous. Compassion is not being nice. So what is it? So what is compassion? Here's what, uh, but let, let us define compassion. <laughs> I got an equation for all my math nerds out there. See, compassion equals empathy plus action. See, compassion is this, this incredible bridge uh, between uh, feeling and action. It's, it's simultaneously a feeling, something that you feel, and simultaneously uh, that feeling leads to you wanting to do something. See, we're talking about compassion today for two reasons. One, <laughs> you and I need to experience the compassion of Jesus to be changed by him and to live a life following him. It's true. When you experience the compassion of Jesus, it does something on the inside of you. See, what's separating you and I from growth right now, it might just be that we have yet to really experience the compassion of Jesus because when you do, it disarms you and it changes you. The other reason I think it's important for us to talk about compassion today is because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to give my all to him, you need to be a person to show compassion in your life to other people. 
See, when people think of you, they need to think of a compassionate person. See, there are some things in scripture at times that are confusing. There are some things we read and we, we don't quite really know what it's telling us to do. <laughs> well, this ain't it. Compassion is not one of those things that we have to guess about. Scripture is very plain. It's very clear. There's tons of scriptures that talk about uh, us being compassionate. Um, let's look at this particular scripture in Colossians. It says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There's another one I like in Zechariah 7. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Listen, it's pretty clear. Scripture is very clear. We are to be compassionate people. Scripture is calling us to be compassionate people. But think about it. There's a group of people that you know well, not just on social media. Uh, they're out at a socially distant barbecue and your name comes up. I want you to imagine this in your head. And they start talking about you and they're referencing you. What would they say? Would they say you're a compassionate person? See, they might say you know a lot of scripture. <laughs> they might say you can make them laugh. They might say you even got a, a dope sneaker or shoe game. But I wonder if in that conversation, would they say you were a compassionate person? See, my hope today is that you and I look at the scripture, look at the text so that we can both experience the compassion of Jesus and also learn how to be people who show compassion. But I think we struggle with compassion. Um, I think we struggle with compassion for a couple reasons. One, most of the encounters we have with people aren't compassionate. If I was to be honest, growing up, um, compassion wasn't a virtue. Um, sometimes it wasn't a virtue uh, in my house, but I know a lot of times it wasn't a virtue in my neighborhood. You know, I could go outside and try to be friendly with people. I'm a pretty friendly guy. And I would tell someone to have a good day and they're responsible. They don't tell me what kind of day to have. <laughs> We generally aren't around people who have compassion towards us. And so most of our encounters have ended or began with a harsh, critical response. And so we've learned to kind of live without compassion. We go through life, and sometimes, particularly as New Yorkers, we go through life um, without compassion. Uh, another reason why I think we wrestle and we struggle with compassion is, and this one hits home for me, y'all, we're too consumed. See, our minds, my mind is always racing. I think about the times when I have my four-year-old son with me and I'm in the living room and I'm thinking about the responsibilities that I have as a parent. I'm thinking about, you know, money situations. I'm thinking about food. Uh, I have to be on 110 Zoom calls tomorrow and he's right there and he needs my attention, but 
I'm so consumed that I'm unable to do it. And as a result, uh, I'm actually pretty mean to him <laughs> if I was to keep it up. And I'm like, no, Axel, I can't play with you. And you would think in a time like this that we would be more compassionate. You would think that in the season that the world is in, it would necessitate more compassion out of me, but it doesn't. <laughs> I actually have seen myself in the midst of the pandemic actually be a little more critical, a little more harsh, because compassion is a struggle. Um, and, and we wrestle with this idea of being compassionate. Now, um, I do have to be quite honest for a minute. And I, I want to read this because I think this last point is real. I think this is, this is where we struggle with compassion. A lot of times it's nothing external. We struggle with compassion because it's internal. It's what we believe. We, you and I, don't believe that God is compassionate. Some of you are newer to Christianity, and you just assume that there's an obstacle course to complete before you can go to God. There's all these things, all these hurdles that you have to jump over to get to God. And others have been around for a minute. Uh, you may have heard some scriptures that says that God is compassionate, but, but deep down inside, and yes, deep down inside, if we were to stop and think, deep down inside, your gut belief, your functional belief, your core belief is that God is in heaven with a checklist. And if you do anything outside of that checklist or everything in that checklist, you'll deserve good things from him. And if not, too bad. He's going to punish you. God won't bless you or love you. See, one of the major reasons you and I struggle with compassion is because we don't believe God is a compassionate God. But yo, scripture says something different. Scripture tells us how compassionate God is. When God put on human nature, he came as the person of Jesus and Jesus helps us see who the person of God is. And the Bible is full of that. What I love about the Bible, when you look at the original language, you get a, a peek into the, the true essence and meaning of words. And uh, the, the, the compassion in the Bible, uh, what it really means is that there's this inner uh, stirring. There's, it, it literally says this, there's something that happens in your inner parts. <laughs> Yo, let me say that again. The, the connotation of compassion in the scripture, when you look in the Bible, in the, in the original language, it literally says this, to be moved in your inward parts. That doesn't just mean you feel something. It means you feel something to the degree that you want to do something. And what I love is that there's a God who not just feels something and stands afar and looks at it, but he feels something and he does something. And the scriptures help us see that. I want to look at Jesus's interaction with the leper today. It's a familiar story to many of us, but prayerfully, the implications will turn our hearts more and more towards a compassionate Jesus. I love my man Mark's account of this story. Let me read Mark 1, 
Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Listen to verse 41. Moved with compassion, moved in his inner parts, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Listen to what he says. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Verse 45, yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. There are so many things in God's word that stand out. Uh, I wanna try to pull out three key things that I think are gonna help us uh, learn and develop uh, compassion, both uh, experience it and be able to uh, display it and show it to other people. See, here's the first point, and I, this is one of my favorite stories. Jesus does not regard us as society regards us. Listen to verse 40 again. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him. So this particular account, uh, we get to see, one thing you need to know about the Bible, right? The gospel accounts tell uh, different versions of the life and the teaching of Jesus. And so Luke, this dude Luke, when he describes this very same account, this interaction of Jesus and the leper, Luke says that this man was covered in leprosy. And, and in my mind, I, I, I can picture this man covered and walking up to Jesus. The fact that he was covered in leprosy, um, not only if you, when you think about the physical sight, but think about it. Leprosy didn't just happen overnight. This went from a patch to a full blown out um, thing that, that was all over his body. And I think now more than ever, when you when we can really understand how ostracized or how much of an outcast this dude was, because um, think about uh, the coronavirus and the season we're in now. This dude had kind of the effect, the social effect of, uh, on him was coronavirus times 100. Uh, there wasn't any asymptomatic spread of leprosy. Uh, the, the belief was if you had it, you could spread it to everybody. And so because you could spread it to everybody, this dude had to live in a colony. Um, they had to live on their own. They couldn't be near people. Uh, they were unable to be a part of society. They were unable to partake uh, in the, the regular things in the neighborhood. They had to, to grow their hair out and they had to wrap themselves in these linen. And when they walked down the streets, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine um, maybe even the loss of dignity there? Uh, could you imagine how this leper felt? Could you imagine the way society just discarded him and left the lepers in their colonies and left them all to their own devices? See, not only did it take years for this leprosy to, 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 to spread in this man, 
but the lepers were outcasts. And what we get to see in this account is that Jesus moves toward the outcasts. I hope you hear that. Jesus doesn't regard us as society regards us. Jesus moved toward the man with leprosy, covered in leprosy and all. Knowing his social status, Jesus still moved toward him. Why? Because Jesus does not regard us as society does. <laughs> and look, you might think, okay, there's just this one encounter. But no, the Bible uh, is filled with accounts of Jesus compassionately interacting with people who were on the margins or who society thought um, weren't good enough to be a part of it. Um, consider my dude Zacchaeus. And I love this story, one, because my son Zacchaeus is a short. They talk about him being a short man. Um, but, but Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He's described not just as a tax collector, but a chief tax collector, meaning he had tax collectors working under him. And he was a disreputable man. He was robbing and extorting his own people. Uh, and not only that, he was charging too much for taxes. And then he was benefiting from the tax collectors under him. And in society, the tax collectors, let alone weren't regarded well, but the chief tax collector, he was not regarded well. And we see Jesus in the Bible, in this story, we see Jesus moving closer and closer to him. Let's be real here for a second. Um, the fact that Jesus doesn't regard us as society regards us, this means two things. Here's the first one. <laughs> All of that stuff internally that, that you don't like about you and the stuff that I don't like about me, none of that stuff disqualifies you from receiving the grace and the tenderness and the compassion of Jesus. See, there's a scripture in Hebrews 4.15. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Let that soak in for a minute, Renaissance. All of the stuff, all of your weakness, all of my lack of discipline, all of my sin, all of my character flaws, that does not disqualify me from the compassion and the grace and the tenderness and the love and the mercy of Jesus. See, with all of that in mind, you can go, the scripture is telling us you can go boldly to Jesus. You can stand there fully, um, uh, uh, not hindered, um, not, not sugarcoating anything. You can tell him and lay it all in the line. And guess what? He's going to meet you with compassion. He's not going to reject you because he knows what's happening in you and he's still going to meet you with compassion. He will not reject you. I need you, Renaissance. I need you to get that. The second point is that Jesus is willing. If you come to him, Jesus is willing. Let's go back to the text. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. You and I, I'm sure we're much like the leper. 
in the fact that you and I doubt sometimes and we wrestle with the idea, is Jesus willing? Is he willing to step into our situation? Is he willing to still be compassionate even though I've done all these things and uh, and the way that I feel about myself? Is he willing to step in to my mess? And this interaction with the leper shows us that Jesus is willing. When and if you come to him, Jesus is willing. And yo, the wrestling, don't be shy about the wrestling. It, it happens with all of us. And I love how the theologian uh, Sinclair Ferguson, he, he helps us frame how to understand this suspicion. He says it this way, although the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, if you don't know it, look it up, is probably the best known of all of Christ's parables. The lesson Luke 15 teaches us is often overlooked. Jesus was underlying the fact that the reality of the love of God for us is often the last thing in the world to dawn on us. As we fix our eyes upon ourselves, our past failures, our present guilt, it seems impossible that the Father should love us. Many Christians go through much of their life with the prodigal son's suspicion. And this is what the leper had, a deep suspicion as to whether Jesus would be willing to be near him. And look, some of y'all listening, you have had that same deep suspicion and you've stayed away from God. And so you may need to click on the link below uh, you need to fill out a connection card so you can get in touch with one of the pastors here at Renaissance because you stayed away because uh, you didn't believe Jesus was willing. And I hope you hear in this text that if you come to Jesus, Jesus is willing. I love how the power of the scripture, it actually confirms this for us. Listen to how it's, it's said in 1 John 4, 9. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Here's the last point. Jesus's restoration of the leper wasn't just physical. It was social and it was spiritual. See, uh, this leper, like I said before, he was unable to partake in being a part of God's family. Uh, his quarantine was never going to be over unless he was healed. Um, listen to this in verse 45. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. What Jesus does in your life is holistic. It's complete. It's not just spiritual. And this is the power of compassion. This is why compassion is such a powerful thing. Uh, now, y'all know me. Listen, I, I love being able to have uh, conversations and, and talk about the power of scripture and talk about the power of compassion. But there's three specific things I want to give us, very practical things to build compassion into your life. The first is this, um, you must see the needs of people around you. You might just have to stop and slow down. Uh, one of the problems of being in pain is that it blinds you to everything else around you. 
And again, in this pandemic, it's kind of doubled up. Uh, we're going through, uh, there's no shortage of pain. Let's just be honest about that. So while I don't want to ignore what's happening on the inside of you, I also want to make sure we're not just thinking about ourselves, that you slow down and you stop and you think about other people. See other people's pains. Uh, listen to how Paul says it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10. He says this, let no one seek only his own good, but also that of the other person. I, here's an action plan. I want you to start each day this week by asking God to give you eyes to see the people around you. I want you to make it practical for you. Say, Lord, like literally talk to him. Say, Lord, I want. I'm, I may be in pain, but I want to see the pain and the hurt and the suffering of other people around me. Because as you do that, you're going to build and develop compassion into your heart. And you're going to become more of a person uh, of compassion. The second one is a big one. Um, you and I must sympathize with their pain. So not only do I want you to see the people around you, but I, I want you to sympathize. I want you to, uh, to feel and, and, and to attempt and ask the Holy Spirit to help you feel the pain of other people. Uh, here's a simple life hack. <laughs> Stop asking what's wrong with them and start asking what happened to them. And look, I'm gonna look you straight in the eyes and this hits home for me. I have to start asking the question to myself. Sometimes when I when I mess up and and I've been following Jesus and 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 I'm sharing the gospel and I'm talking to people about Jesus and sometimes I say to my own self, I say, "Yo, what's wrong with you? Asma, what's wrong with you?" But the question needs to be, "Well, what happened to you?" There are so many things maybe in my life if I stop and pause and think about them, uh, they've affected me. Here's a I want you to hear that life hack. Stop asking what's wrong with them and start asking what happened to them. Instead of looking at someone in disgust and over and over wondering what's wrong with them, start asking what happened to them. Here's the thing about pain. And uh, a woman named Donna Pisani, she put it this way. She says, pain that's not transformed will be transmitted. Let me say that again. Pain that is not transformed, it will be transmitted. And what I want you to do is not only notice the pain around you, I want you to sympathize with people. Don't just ask what's wrong. Don't just ask about the problems on the surface. I want you to think about what actually happened in their life. The cruelest people are victims themselves. I'm not saying this excuses anybody's behavior, but it does mean that your roommate, your boss, or whoever you're struggling with um, has several things that has damaged them. And changing that question will give you a compassionate lens to start seeing them through. And here's the last one. You and I must seize the moment to help. There's not an indefinite window of, of time for you to be compassionate. There's a, there's a small window for you to speak or to act compassionately to someone. And you have to begin to train yourself, develop the discipline that in those moments, 
that you will be a person of compassion. That might be right now for you. Let me pray. God, thank you for your compassion. Thank you for the truth that you meet us in compassion. You don't regard us as society regards us, that you're always willing, Lord God, <laughs> and that the truth is um, when you see us, when you look at us, you know everything about us, and yet you still meet us with compassion. God, thank you that your work is holistic. It's, it's all-encompassing. It's not just physical and it's not just spiritual, but you think about all of us. And you want us to have a lens to see people like you see them. God, give us the heart of compassion so that the world can taste and see that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen.